Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. Instead of becoming yet another burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm now on a mission to help lawyers do just that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both life and law. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Okay, y'all. Well, today we have an amazing guest and a real treat for you. I want to introduce you to Monica Blacker, a fellow attorney who spent 22 years as a business workout and reorganization attorney while climbing the partnership ranks in an international firm. Along her journey, she observed some common obstacles and pitfalls that often hold women and minorities back and ultimately cause them to leave law firm life. Armed with her own personal experiences and stories from her colleagues, Monica has been transformed into a passionate advocate for minorities and women in the law and is on a mission to make the road to partnership and executive level positions smoother for them. In 2017, she founded BAX Advisors LLC, a firm focused on helping women and minorities advance in their careers, as well as helping organizations design and or refresh their diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives. In 2020, Monica joined Force 10 Partners, an advisory firm specializing in corporate restructuring, challenged businesses, litigation, and other special situations. I will have links for where to find Monica and information on BAX Advisors in the show notes, so definitely go there to check her out. And I'm really happy to have her here with us today for several reasons. One, because she did what a lot of attorneys dream about doing, yet rarely pull the trigger on, which is to leave the law firm life and start her own business, despite whatever fears she may have had. Two, I would love at the end to hear a little bit more about what she thinks firms and the people in them can do better when it comes to their diversity and inclusion initiatives. And three, if we have time, I plan to ask her how on earth she balances it all, especially now that she's a partner with Force 10 Partners while also doing her BAX advisors work. Okay, that was a mouthful. Welcome, Monica. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. We're just going to dive right in because I have a lot of questions for you. And I especially (laughs) want to know a little bit of the background around, you know, you practiced law for a really long time in a big firm. You made partner. You climbed the corporate ranks, you know, or the partnership ranks, and you were, quote unquote, successful at it. And then yet you changed it all and decided to go out on your own and do your own thing. So what was the thing or moment or experience uh, that you had that made you you decide, okay, it's time to do something else? Sure. It was really twofold for me. The first was I had kind of one of those, what you would call like your worst case scenarios. I was working for a bank, client was a bank, our borrower actually committed suicide. It was like this, one of those horrible cases you hear about, collected his life insurance policy as part of our collateral. And I, it it was one of those cases where no one was happy, right? The bank didn't get their full recovery. The borrower's family obviously was very unhappy. 
And all of this went down during spring break. I was in California on calls at five in the morning to try not to ruin my family's vacation. And I just looked around and I was like, no one is happy here. Not my clients, not my family, not me. I remember sitting, you know, on a bench outside of the USS, uh, the Midway in San Diego while my family went on a tour and I was on a conference call. I had that moment of just, what, what am I doing with my life? And then, I, but I was kind of stuck. I didn't know what else, to, what else could I do with my life. And the firm was looking to hire someone to come in and to the women about how they could better draft their own evaluations. And I tried to hire someone who had helped me, who'd been a mentor slash coach for me. And she said to me, hey, I can't do it then. And anyway, you could do this speech. And I was like, really? So, so, you know, we spent a couple, we really spent like an hour or two on the phone going through resources. I read a bunch of books on it. And I made a presentation within the firm about self-evaluation for women. And it was so well received that it, we spun it out to all the offices. So I traveled to all the offices and then we started spinning it out to our clients. So I found myself at three of the Fortune 15 companies speaking to their women, some women's group within their organization about self-promotion. And I thought, you know, this is really what I would love to do. And so it was twofold. The timing was just right. I was really disgruntled with just how I felt about being a restructuring lawyer and that I wasn't, you know, really fighting for the greater good, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then having kind of an opportunity fall into my lap and realize, hey, I-, I am good at this. I'm extremely passionate about this. And, you know, maybe I can make a living doing this. So I find this story a little bit interesting because I think I want to warn people out there who are listening. There's this temptation to think, well, she had the perfect storm. You know, she started thinking about these things at the same time, this wonderful, perfect opportunity came up, right? But I think that there are all kinds of opportunities that are always out there. And it's important for you to open up your eyes to see them and then claim them for yourself (laughs) when they present themselves. I 100% agree. I mean, even after I quit and started this business, I had really thought the focus was going to be more on helping with business development. That's really where I was going. You know, I thought this is my sweet spot of we're having worked in a professional service firm and being able to help women do business development. But I figured out pretty quickly that that also wasn't exactly my passion. My passion was really more about helping people seize opportunities, whether Mm -hmm. it's within your firm, within your organization, or sometimes that's outside and that you have to keep your eyes open to it because so often, you know, we're just, we're on our path and we Mm -hmm. don't see, we don't see all the things that are kind of presenting themselves from one side to another, because you're, you're busy, you know, you're focused, you're, you think that your next step is from associate to senior counsel to partner, like you're just always looking towards the end, and you're uh-huh. missing all the opportunity on the journey. Well, and, and you, you, um, I think what you're showing here is that 
we often enter our careers with certain goals and priorities and they change along the way because we change and our circumstances change and we learn and we grow. And often we don't listen to that voice inside of our head that's like, ding, 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 your priorities have changed. You need to listen. You need to do something else. And we just keep barreling forward towards that predetermined path that we thought we wanted, but maybe we no longer want. I agree. And I, um, I know this is kind of where we're heading, but to, to jump in a little, I think what happens to a lot of us is when we start thinking off the path is when what I call the fear, the fear voice comes Mm -hmm. in. So um, as you, you know, when you're just because, you know, this is, was a lot, a lot of our path, you know, we went to the law firm and we worked hard and we tried to, we were trying to make partner when you start to veer off that path, whether it's changing the type of practice you're going to do or just wanting something different, there's a voice that comes in the back of your head that it's kind of like, hey, 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 stay in your lane. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Where, where are you going? Why are you doing this? For me, it was the fear voice was who will ever want to hear what you have to say? Um, oh, yeah. I read John Acuff's book that's called Start Punch Fear in the Face stop being average and do awesome work. That was a really big turning point for me because I was extremely scared. Let me be, let me be real clear about that. Leaving my law firm, you know, job was terrifying. And even though I gave the firm a month's notice, people would come into my office like the week I was supposed to be leaving and I still had not packed one thing up because I wasn't... (laughs) I literally wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. Um, And part of it, I think, was because I got so wrapped up in what was next that I forgot that I was walking away from a 20 plus year career that had, you know, that it was so interwoven in my life, right? Your friends, your your colleagues become your friends, and you're just not sure what's going to happen when you go down that path. But all that is to say that you that don't let fear, don't let fear rule it, right? You gotta, right. there's great things can happen um, when you take chances. I think yeah, you and, and I, I are both good examples of that. We are, I think lawyers especially, we're so trained and we're so enmeshed in our quote unquote training that we think we can't do anything else. And so we get that, that voice comes in of, well, why would anybody listen to you? You don't have experience in that, you know? and. It's funny because I felt the same exact thing (laughs) when I came out. I was like, why the hell would anybody hire me as a coach? I don't have all the experience as a coach that I had as a lawyer. And, you know, there's that that voice that just loves to kind of knock you down. The, The interesting thing for me was I figured out over time that that voice wasn't necessarily going anywhere. I'd had to talk back to it and deal with it in a way that kind of diminished it so that I could still take that next step. So how did you deal with that voice so that you could kind of overcome those fears and still jump out and do the things you wanted to do? Sure. I laugh about it because I say overcoming that voice is is a little bit like um, that voice is a little bit like a muscle, right? You have to keep working at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you get, you know, one time, you're not going to one day just wake up and it's going to be gone. Um, yep. You know, I, I used to start speeches with, well, I'm no expert in this, but 
And then one day I was like, why are you saying that? First of all, you're basically just told everyone in the room, don't listen to me. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and second of all, who, what makes anyone an expert on this? Like there's mm-hmm. not particular, it's not like there's a, a, a degree in, you know, helping women um, and minorities that would, and even that, would that make you an expert? It just make you educated, I guess. Right. So I, I was like, stop doing that. You know, stop degrading yourself. Plenty of other people will pick on you. You don't need to pick on yourself. But what I did is I cheated that voice like a bully. And, you know, bullies mm-hmm. are, they're strong in the dark, but not so much when they're, when they're highlighted, right? So ah. I would write down what the voice said. Okay. And I would look at it and I would think, well, that's crazy or that's not true. (laughs) Um, But for some reason, writing it down, putting it on paper, and then I would actually have like one of my friends look at it because we're so critical of ourselves. And, you know, there's all sorts of times where people say things like, if you heard someone saying that, what you're saying about yourself, about, let's say, your best friend, what would you do? Right. Like, I would want to punch them in the face, right? Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, tell them they're wrong. And so that was another thing was getting social about it, like saying to people, hey, this is my fear. These are some of my fears. This is what my voice is telling me. And to have them say, are you crazy? Like, people lined up to hear you speak. Um, yep. you know, everyone was always looking forward to it. Those kind of things to quiet that voice, but it's constant. And I, I laugh sometimes, you know, when I'm giving a presentation, I'll say, sometimes I like do as I say, not as I do, because I have moments where I struggle with promoting myself or talking about something great that I've done because that fear of voice is, is vocal in the back of my head saying, Mm -hmm. Oh, they're, they're going to think you're bragging or they're going to think you're too self-promoting. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I always feel weird about posting too much on social media or, you know, tooting my own horn or, or whatever. And when I started this podcast, I was very worried about, you know, how I would be perceived. And then I finally just got over it and said, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. Because even if I only help 10 people, it's worth it right? If only 10 people listen and get helped, it's worth it. And so that's what ultimately got me there. And I think you've just highlighted a couple really important things. Number one, journaling. And that's kind of what you did. I think a lot of people think of journaling as this very formal experience. It doesn't have to be done that way. And it doesn't have to be done daily or weekly or on some schedule. You can utilize it to your benefit when you need it, which is actually how I do it. Um, And I have clients who use journaling in a very similar situation for you, and it's re- it really does help a whole lot. So that's number one. And then number two, just highlighting again that that voice never 100% goes away, and you have to deal with it constantly, and that's okay. I tell people and my clients that it's a protective measure within you. It is there to, it is kind of a bully, but it's there to remind you of all the things you need to think about. And so when you put it out into the light, as you said, and don't don't let it stay in the dark. And when we let it stay in the dark, we're kind of ignoring it. And then it just builds bigger, 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 bigger. But when you put it out there, it you can challenge it. You can deal with it. You can get other people's opinions. And I love that you went to other people because they can help reinforce, you know, that you are valuable and you do provide value. And also say, okay, you're dealing with the same thing everybody else does. I have these problems too. And there's something very 
you know, helpful about that as well. So I love that you highlighted all of that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how women often think they're the only one experiencing something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just women, I think, across the board, but uh, I feel like women are less likely to ask for help. And it, it, it really is so enlightening when I, like I say, when you get social with it, when you talk to other people about it, or when you have a vulnerable moment and post a, you know, a not quote, Facebook, Instagram, lovely life thing. Mm -hmm. And you find that people are really um, drawn to your honesty and have had the same experience or, you know, have some insight to that, that will help you quiet the voice. Yep. Okay. So we're going to move on. And we've already talked about fear, but we haven't talked about two big ones really that come up a lot for me in the work that I do with lawyers. And so what I see is there are a lot of attorneys out there who had these big dreams and they're differing kind of dreams. Maybe it's to branch out into a new area of law. Maybe it's to speak up more often so that their voice is heard around big policy issues that they think they can really make a difference in. Um, maybe it's around starting their own law firm. And sometimes it's even about leaving the law firm world or legal practice entirely and starting a new business. So what do you see holding most attorneys back from those things the most? So the funniest one that you hear all the time is that people think they're going to get fired. So <laughs> if they, I mean, I, I know that, <laughs> I love that you laughed because it is, it is kind of funny when you step out and look at how hard it is to get fired from a law firm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not like, I'm not making fun of that, but really it is hard. Like law firms are risk averse. Yep. They are not just firing people willy nilly, right? They, they want to have lots of track record. There's got to be a lot of reasons. I mean, we've all worked with people who you're just like, how is that person still here? Right. Yes. yes. And <laughs> Sadly, so yes. when people come to me and they're like, I don't want to, you know, in my review, I didn't ask for more money or I didn't, you know, I didn't ask to be put on a committee or whatever, because I was afraid I was going to get fired. I say, okay, let's unpack that. Like, do you, is that really what you're afraid of? Because again, it's so hard to get fired. Are you afraid that you're going to stop getting work? Are you afraid that you're going to be labeled difficult? Like, what is it you're really afraid of? And then we work through how you manage that. But what Mm -hmm. I can tell you is they don't hand out raises, promotions, and um, all the advancement things in a law firm just because you're nice. Like, that's not how this works. Oh, and they also don't do it just because you're a good lawyer. Exactly. So you (laughs) have to ask. Yes. You have to ask. You have to be a voice. You will not get anything. I'm like, this is not like a Pez dispenser where the head opens and candy pops out. Nope. It is, you have to ask and you have to be comfortable with sometimes the answer might be no. Yep. But if, it, but it's also good to know that, right? To know what you're up against. And so I really do think that is most, I hear it all the time. People's biggest fear is that they're going to get let go. Um, Isn't that kind of relating more to though, 
underlying it that they're really scared of what other people think of them and that they're not going to be like yeah you you definitely have to let the everyone's not going to like me thing go and that's hard I mean it's hard for me even you know when I give a speech I may get 30 accolades but then I'll have one that's like maybe not so great and I cannot let that one go but I mean, there is some of that where you just have to get a thick, a thick skin and be okay with asking. And especially as you progress upwards, I really think it's important for us to remember that using our voice for those who don't have them is part mm. of our job. It is our job. Like it is, you know, if I understand that a second year associate is not going to come in and be like, hey, this place is whack. Like they are not. <laughs> um, you know, they're not, they're not treating us right. Or, or like, that's probably not their role. But when you're an eight, nine, let's say you're a partner and you see people not being treated fairly, um, whether it's women or minorities or LGBTQ, whatever, that is your job. Part of it is to use your voice. Cause once you have one, you have to use it for the greater good. You can't just use it for yourself. Um, well, and let me be clear about this is that's a, that's a leadership trait. Like if you actually want to be seen as a leader and want to be a leader, you need to speak up. That is your job. You are not a leader if you don't do it. Having a, you know, partner next to your name or almost making partner, you know, being on that track where you're almost there, it doesn't make you a leader. It's how you act that makes you that way. And I would agree. It is your responsibility to speak up and take care of these people. Yeah. When I was at the firm, they wanted me to run a all attorney quarterly meeting. And I said, that's fine. I have two requirements. One, I get to pick who speaks because I don't, I want to use this as an opportunity to highlight people who are stars, but aren't seen as such because, you know, they're not the top rainmaker, but Mm -hmm. they're, you know, like, I was like, and I get to pick the food because you and I both know the food (laughs) is what actually drives people to a meeting. That is true. (laughs) People don't want to come to a meeting and hear from, you know, the head of the firm again, or the head of, you know, our internal GC or whatever. We have partner meetings for that. Every time tried to stack it with, you know, someone who'd had a great court experience or something to explain tell the whole, to give the, the office a whole idea of like, let's, let's look at other people, mm-hmm. which is going to, which is a lead into probably what is going to, was going to be your last question to me, but maybe we talk about it here mm-hmm. is ways to create opportunities because that is what really, for me, diversity and inclusion and belonging really is are. all about. Yeah. It's all about creating opportunities for those who don't fall into the traditional mold of like, let's just say their dad was an attorney and they're, you know, they're the third attorney in their family and they've, they've got kind of clients built in or they have six siblings in town who all send them business, you know, the, right. the non, how, how do we create opportunities for these people? And, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I try to get people to focus on And it's really, my number one tip is so simple. And it's literally taking your firm phone list or employee list and writing out on a separate piece of paper who you could be giving work to. Mm. 
so that the next time you get the call from the client that says, hey, you know, we need X, Y, or Z, or your internal business person, if you're in a company that says, hey, we need someone to run this project, you don't just go to, you know, Tom, the guy you always work with, the guy who's in the office next to you, the guy right. whose son is also on your son's soccer team, whatever the connection is. And this is for women and men. And you look at that list and you say, you know what, I've heard... Heather does great work. I haven't used her before. Yeah, maybe it's going to take me a little more time because she's got to <laughs> figure out my style. Yep. You know, those are the excuses I get, right? Like it's easier to work with people I've already worked with or, you know, they know how I like it or whatever. I, I, I'm done with those. Like <laughs> you're going to have to put a little bit of effort in it. I give you that. But you're also going to find that you've expanded so exponentially your thoughts and your processes and your frankly let's be honest clients are requiring it now it's not just yep. hey we'd like a more diverse team it's like no and, and and we don't mean you can just bring like the one person of color to the pitch and then we never see them again yeah. right and so it's really about slowing down what I would call like our unconscious bias so you know, just taking 10 extra seconds to be like, hey, who else might be might be good at this project? Who can help me here so that there's opportunities created? Because that's how it works, right? In any organization, not yep. just a law firm, yep. but in a company, you've got to get that first deposition to get the second deposition, you know, which then means you get to argue in court and, you know, all the steps that if you're just at the bottom and no one is looking out for you, you're, you don't get those opportunities. Right. You got to ask, you got to ask for them and you've got to have a mentor and sponsor. I mean, those are, if you don't remember anything about this, remember, <laughs> you got to ask for it and you need a mentor and a sponsor. Absolutely. And I would say this to those of you who say, yeah, but that just takes too much time to go out and work with new people. Okay, it does. But understand that over time, you're growing your network of people, your group, the people that can work on your, you know, your matters and with your clients in a way that isn't just adding diversity of color and whether it's male, female or whatnot. It's diversity of styles, diversity of opinions in the way that they work. And that is actually incredibly helpful when it comes to growing your business because your clients are going to be that way too. And I found that by having a bigger network of diverse people, you have a better, you know, resources then over time to match to your clients and you can grow that business even more and strengthen the trust and the relationships that you have with those clients by doing that. So it is going to help you in the long run. And anything that is going to help you to that degree is going to take a bit of time and work. So you're just going to have to get over it. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, the whole like, oh, it's just easier. I get it. Like we're all busy and have lots, lots of things on our plates. But in the long run, it, it, it is going to harm you. I mean, because yep. you are going to get into a situation where you have clients who are like, hey, your team looks exactly the same it's too homogeneous I need and you're not going to have anyone and and those people the great the good good ones the great ones are aren't they're going to be entrenched maybe somewhere else they're going to have heard that you don't really like to work with people who aren't like you maybe and they're not going to be interested I mean and they're going to be busier 
right? Yeah. And then you're not going to have, when you're forced into it, you don't have as many choices as when you choose to do it on your own. <laughs> so exactly. So do you see um, anything else other than the fear of being fired, fear of what other people will think, holding attorneys back from going after what they want? Um, I think one of the things that we talked about is attorneys believe that they're only and they're only trained to be attorneys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I call it's a little bit of like the myth of a law firm, because if you believed you could do other things, you may not stay at a law firm yep. um, because they're not always the best place for people. You know, they aren't always entrepreneurial, depending on the type of firm you're in. They may not reward your skill set. And so really finding another path may be the best thing for you, but we're, all, we're, we're, all, we're also scared, right? We're scared mm -hmm. that we don't know how to do anything else. I used to say, like, I'm not qualified to really do anything else. Well, actually, I'm qualified <laughs> to do lots of things, right? I, I would I, so argue otherwise. Yeah. But like, I can run a meeting. I can stand up and speak. I can work a room like no other, right? I, I mean, there are lots of things that I learned as an attorney that I use now. I mean, I currently serve on a board and a couple months into it, they made me the chair of the board because they described me as the get shit done girl. I don't know if you have to edit that part <laughs> out, but like, <laughs> uh, because that's like my reputation. And most of that came from being an attorney, right? From yep. having a lot of tasks to do and getting it done. And so the, the, I laugh when, when people say to me, well, I mean, all I can do is be a lawyer. And I'm like, there's so many other things that you yep. can do. It never hurts to have a law degree. I mean, there are certainly lots of things that we've learned as lawyers, but it's not always the best use of your skill set especially, you know, if you're really a people person, I find that being a lawyer in a law firm maybe isn't your best use. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people that never even go to college and certainly that don't ever get law degrees start businesses and end up successful at them. So if they can do it, sure as heck you can do it too. And this is not to say that you have to go out and start your own business. But for those of you that have these other dreams and keep using these excuses, because that's really what they are, as the reason why, get over it. Find a way to get over it. Hire a coach, go out there, work through the mindset stuff and see, is this something I really want to do? Because what I will say, and I learned this because I had cancer and I faced down, you know, am I going to die from this or not? Your biggest regrets later in life are not doing the things you kept thinking you, you, you could or should do. And it's time to face it and make the decision. Okay, do I really want to try or not? And let go of it if you don't. But if you do, don't keep making excuses. So that's my little soapbox moment. <laughs> no, and I agree. And I think you have to be all in. So when I mm -hmm. was thinking about leaving, you know, I had a lot of friends and frankly, my ex-husband try to talk me into doing both, you know, mm. trying to straddle the line, like stay practicing because look, it was a great income, right? Let's not pretend that <laughs> that we're being a partner in a law firm doesn't pay great money. But yeah. I, I knew that if I all if I had that safety net, that I would never put all of my energy into something else. 
this wasn't easy. Like, don't let either of us fool you into thinking it was just something that one morning we woke up and said, I'm going to quit my job and do something else today. Oh, I no. would say there no. was some definite planning for me as well that I would recommend you talk to other people. Like I had another friend who had, she'd done something else. We talked, if your fear is income based, then maybe you do do something where you still have a steady stream of income. Or you, you at know. least save appropriately, or, right? right? Yeah, that's right. what I did. I knew that there was no way the firm would be okay with me coaching people knowing I was doing this other work and having me practice law. And so I basically told my husband more than a year before I left that this is what I want to do. My business was booming. I was making lots of money. And we were like, okay, we're going to save as much as we possibly can. And then at this point, you know, this was the do or die date. And so that's what I was working towards. And so there are a lot of different ways to do it. But I knew there was no way I could really straddle that line the way a lot of people talk about it because it's you're not going all in. And so I had a do or die date where I'm like, this is it. I got to go. And we got to it. And I looked at my husband. I said, all right, I'm announcing in two weeks. <laughs> you know, we're, <laughs> we're going to do it. And I did. And I also had those fears. What steps would you recommend people take to build up their confidence so they, they don't hold themselves back and go out and try the things that they really want? I think you've already kind of dealt with one of them. But what, what else would you like to say? Sure. So um, one of the things obviously is talk to other people. You need to have your board of directors, your squad, kind of your people. And I actually did, I actually did like a road tour before I quit. I'm actually, I'm surprised the firm never heard that it was happening, that they were surprised Mm -hmm. when I quit because I actually went to San Francisco, Chicago, New York, and Houston and invited a bunch of women to um, a happy hour and basically previewed for all of them what I was getting ready to do and wow. listen to listen to their feedback. I, I put some money where my mouth was, you know, I, these were all paid for by me. Um, but I needed for me, I needed some external validation, I guess, was probably the best. Um, it's almost like marketing, it. though, because you were you were going in front of the people you would eventually want to pitch and help the most. And so that's, that's how you market. And it, you, it, you don't just start y'all marketing a new business or really anything. And this is true for those of you trying to build a book of business, FYI. You can't just go out there and sell. The first marketing step is figuring out what people really need and want <laughs> so that you can meet them where they are. And so that's really what it sounds like you were doing, which is really, really smart. And I believe that the best way to build business is that people do business with people they like and trust. Yep. It's really really that simple. You can go to all sorts of rainmaking things, and and I've done lots of them. What it ultimately comes down to is the relationships you build, because if you have a client in any situation that you don't have some sort of relationship with above and beyond like, Hey, you do this for me and I pay you for this. They're going to eventually go to someone who they do have a relationship with. Yep. And so I've always been about deeper versus is better, deeper relationships versus wider. Like yes. you don't need as many, you just need to have great ones. And so I picked those women, right. Who worked, who were, we were, more than just, you know, colleagues or um, 
people I'd been in a case with. We had something a little bit more than that. And also who works in organizations that would be able to hire me. Yeah. So I got out there. I had like a one page slick, you know, marketing piece that I gave people in business cards. Uh And um, I started that in April and I quit in July. So I was, you know, I did a little look at going back to one of the things that makes us good at this as having been lawyers is like, I was prepared, right? Like yes. I had a, I had a timeline like you. It's funny. I told my husband a year before I quit that this was what I wanted to do that. I, I, I remember sitting at dinner and saying, this job is currently sucking my soul and I need to do something <laughs> different. And this is what I think it is. It so don't really, just go, you don't just jump off of a cliff people. You can build your confidence slowly by planning by getting the support you need, by doing a little bit of research, and ensuring that your financial ducks are in a row. Right? Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got to ask this question because <laughs> a lot has changed in this last year, year and a half. And honestly, I feel like a lot has been changing within the legal industry, kind of behind the scenes. You know, there's a lot more demand for non-hourly billing there's a lot more demand for, you know, lawyers stepping up to the plate and doing things a little bit differently. And now with the pandemic, we've seen even more changes in how we do business. So, but the the problem is most of lawyers that I know, at least, are not really big on change, right? We don't like change. We don't like to adopt changes that are pushed on us really quickly. We like to consider, analyze, plan, sometimes to our own detriment, because it can be a little bit too much. So, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on new opportunities or changes that might come our way post-COVID that we need to start thinking about. So I think that one of the biggest ones is the use of uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams Mm -hmm. um, because I do think the life of camping out in a client's office or even maybe having, you know, big business dinners. I'm not sure that comes back um, or at least comes back in full as a business development tool. So really it's about how you can differentiate yourself and create relationships in a virtual Mm. platform, which Mm -hmm. is a little bit harder, right? Than just being um, face to face and being able to, you know, have drinks together. So you have to be creative in ways to do that. One of the things that I suggest is small bursts of interaction, right? Uh Look, taking someone, taking a GC out to lunch is a very big commitment for that GC, right? It's an hour and a half, maybe two hours. If you're like in Houston and the traffic, you're in different areas of the traffic. And that's a lot to ask of someone. But now you have the opportunity to just say, hey, can we talk for 15 minutes? And make those 15 minutes meaningful. And sometimes the meaningful, you could even find out from their secretary what their favorite drink is at Starbucks and have that thing delivered, right? Have Mm -hmm. a coffee, be like, we're going to have coffee. It'll be on your desk when you get there. Perfect. Simple things, but using, using media, this, you know, look, Zoom and Microsoft Teams all existed before COVID, just nobody used them. (laughs) So now we know that we can. I mean, for me, it's created huge opportunities. I mean, I did a speech 
in Seoul, Korea, that no one would have ever like paid for me to travel there. I mean, Mm -hmm. that would have been exorbitant, right? So use, I would say you have to get comfortable using these platforms. And for women and minorities, it actually gives us a little bit of a leg up, I believe, because the golf course um, that we've been excluded from or the, you know, big steak dinners, those things, they're not happening or they haven't been happening. Now there's kind of a void of that where you have the opportunity to come in and be creative Mm -hmm. and use, use the relationships that you've built to do something one step beyond. Right. So know, know that your client has kids that they're, they're struggling with, you know, working full time while their kids are home. And so I don't know, send a pack of coloring books if they're that age or uh, Xbox game, the new hot Xbox game, something, you know, it doesn't have to be grand. It just has to be meaningful. And I love that you say that because I will say that is how I built my business as a lawyer before all this, right? I didn't use Zoom because nobody used Zoom then, but I did pick up the dang phone and had meaningful, I got to know my clients. I knew, so my, as a woman, in the finance industry, most of my clients were men. I did have some female clients, but most were men. And I found that certain types of men would gravitate towards me, very family oriented, very, you know, very involved in their kids' lives. And so we talked about our families all the time. We like we built real relationships. And it's how I grew my business so quickly because they trusted me. It just reinforces that. It's about building strong relationships. And something meaningful does not always mean business legal oriented. It can be all kinds of things. And so I love that you brought that up. Yeah, I think people think that the gestures always have to be grand um, and that <laughs> it, you know, it has to be the perfect whatever. And often they get, um, <laughs> they get stymied by that and don't do anything. And so what I tell people is if you don't, if you can't, figure out the, the, the right thing, send a handwritten thank you note. Oh, yes. A handwritten note goes a long way. Okay. So is there, you already earlier talked a little bit about what firms and the people in them can do better when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Was there anything else before I let you go that you wanted to add? Sure. Uh, management and higher ups in firms have to make not just diversity for diversity's sake important. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to focus on inclusion and the feeling of belonging. Because Mm. if you talk to diverse diverse candidates or diverse employees, they will say that that's their biggest struggle. I just was looking at these statistics, 53% of LGBTQ employees are still not out because they don't feel like they will belong or be included. Um, and I, I think a lot of people of color will say they don't bring their authentic self to work for that reason, because they mm-hmm. don't feel like they'll be belong or be included. So we really have to stop focusing on the numbers of saying, oh, you know, we have 18% or whatever, but how, who's staying and how are we getting them to stay? And the biggest problem is that a lot of diversity, diverse people 
look up, right? And they don't see anyone like them. Yep. And so they think, I don't have a path here. Like, what is the path? So making sure if you don't have diversity at your top, that you're creating a sense of inclusion, like, uh-huh. hey, we see you as the next star. We we are grooming you to get here. Like, we want you to be the first or the second or the third. Yes. You have um, to talk to them and tell them and treat them accordingly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So the word diversity is so improperly used I yes. think, these days that I really want people to focus on inclusion and belonging. belonging. Yeah. Well, because that reinforces that it's a cultural issue that starts at the top from top down. And you have to do these deeper things for you to ensure that you are of a culture that you want to be to have the belonging inclusion. Agreed. Okay. All right. So if you have a couple of minutes, I have one final question for you because this is one of those things that my clients deal with so much. Okay. So you are doing your BAX advisors work and you recently joined Force 10 Partners where you're also practicing law some too, right? How do you balance it all? I think you and I agree a little bit that balance gives off the impression that there's some equality <laughs> in in these things. And so I would say it's not so much balance as it is prioritizing, right? Making mm-hmm. sure that the most important thing gets hit first and that you just work on, you just keep working on the next, the next, the next. Be careful, especially when you work for other people, be careful about creating false unnecessary deadlines, like creating yes. them yourself. Oh, God, yes. Don't tell someone, oh, yeah, I'll get this to you by the end of the day before you even understand what the parameter of the work is. I used to do that all the time. Like, I just felt the need to be like, sure, I'll get it right to you. And then you get into it and you're like, this is going to take me three days. The person probably didn't even need it today, but now you've created yes. this made up deadline that you're stressed out about, right? That you're not going to meet. And so just being careful about how you prioritize your time and how you sh- you give that to people externally. Yes. I love that. I think lawyers especially are very bad about over-promising which means under-delivering because you can't, right. you can't live up to it. And then we beat up on ourselves for it. Instead, ask right. the question, what's your timing on this? And what's then you can go back and look and see once you get into it and decide, okay, is that reasonable or not? And if, if you don't think it is, you go back to them and say, hey, here's what I'm finding. Help mm-hmm. me break this down about how to, get, how to make this work. You know, There yeah. are ways to deal with it. <laughs> yes. Communication is key. But when you're doing it for yourself, it is just a matter of making sure you are, again, realistic uh, about your responses. I mean, again, it's a muscle. You have to keep exercising it. Um, Absolutely. Some days you'll be better at it than others. Some days you will drop all the balls and then you get up the next morning and you pick them back up and you just, you got to, you got to be okay shrugging it off and just moving forward. I love that. And I actually love ending on that note because the, the, the truth is, guys, life is messy. It's always going to be messy. And sometimes it's really just about getting to a place where you're okay with that fact and being like, okay, I, I'll do better next time, tomorrow, 
there is always a tomorrow. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so wonderful. I know that everybody is going to get a lot out of it. And perhaps we can have you on again in the future to talk more about the equity inclusion and getting even more specific into some of those things. I would love it. Thank you so much for having me. So I hope that you've enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Before I let you go, I did want to point a couple of things out, um, kind of the be- the key big takeaways that I'd like you to take from today's episode, because we covered a lot of different things, y'all. So number one, we really got into the foundational mindset of success and what that really means, right? And how fear is always there. We've talked about this before, but I really thought that having Monica in to talk about this was really important because she talked about some really key things around how to talk to that inner voice, that inner bully that we all have, and how to still do things regardless, right? That's really, really important. So we talked about this before, and I just want to point out that I recently had an episode around how to overcome your fear and funny enough, deals with a journaling exercise. So if you have not listened to that, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. And I will have that in the show notes. Also, if you do not have a copy of 5-Minute Stress Solutions, I highly encourage you to grab that. That is kind of my foundational guide to exercises that are going to help you calm your mind, deal with stress appropriately, but also create that strong, resilient mindset that we were talking about today. Another thing that I wanted to highlight today that I think was super important is around, look, regardless of what it is you may want to do, where fear of what others might think or say or fear of change or fear of failing or whatever those fears are might be holding you back. It's super important to ensure that you get support, that you don't go it alone. Monica had somebody who had previously gone before her, started a very different business, it sounded like, but yet had left the law. And she went to her and got that support. I hired a coach. It really doesn't matter who, as long as they're the right person, somebody you trust, somebody who will listen to you, somebody who you trust trust to give you good advice, but also will just sit there and listen to you and help you figure out what the best way and what the best answers are for you. So do not go it alone. Make sure you get the help that you need. Support is key to overcoming those fears and also to thinking the most creative that you can so that you can jump thoughtfully, right? Not just jump, but jump thoughtfully. The final thing that I wanted to mention is During the course of our conversation, we talked a little bit about how priorities sometimes change. And we get on that path, right? We start our careers gung-ho, wanting to make partner, going down a path, or maybe you start in-house and you want to get into a particular management or even leadership executive position. But at some point, your circumstances change. And that changes what you want, at least for now. We have different seasons of life and our priorities change and we don't often slow down long enough to really think about it and think about how they've changed. So that's something that's been happening to you. You've got a little bit of of an inkling in the back of your mind that maybe your priorities have changed and you're not quite sure how or you kind of know how but 
those fears are coming up and you don't know what to do about it, I do have an episode all about that. So I suggest that you go back and listen to it as well. I will have a link to that in the show notes too. Okay, that is it for today. Don't forget to download 5-Minute Stress Solutions and I will see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a subscriber, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life & Law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.